0: The last time we were together we left David it was after uh, he had already you remember Saul had tried to pin David to a wall with a spear and and, uh, and then he had fled to his wife and then he escaped from there and went to uh, to the prophet Samuel and then from there he went to Gath and and he w- then ended up in the uh, wilderness in the cave, caves of, of of Adullam and there people started gathering around him the Outcasts of society had gathered around him, and pretty soon he had a 600 man cavalry unit, just well armed, well trained. He had taught he had taught them to be able to fight with both hands, and they were just a a, quite a fighting machine. And while he was out there, two different times he could have killed Saul. We all know the story, but both times he he chose to uh, to not take things into his own hand. He said. Uh, the Lord, if the Lord has called me to be the king, the Lord will do it. I'm not going to be the one that's going to do it. And so he, he went through that situation. And, and even after those times, when, when, uh, when he spared Saul's life, both times, you remember what Saul said? Anybody remember what he said? He basically said, David, I'm so sorry I was wrong about you. I'll go back home. And both times, he ended up going back out and hunting David again. And so that's where we kind of left the situation, the story. And at this point in his life, David suddenly, he, he now realizes that Saul is not going to give up on his quest to kill David. He knows it's just not going to happen. And so he, uh, he reassembles his troops, that 600 crack cavalry men. And, uh, and, he, he, uh, and they're just armed to the teeth, dangerous, lethal raiders. Now, now, now you, you need to remember what we've talked about before. This is the end of the Bronze Age, and during this time, it's perfectly acceptable. It's, it, it is a perfectly acceptable form of, of revenue to loot uh, your enemies and to take whatever you can get from them and steal it. That was perfectly acceptable. It's normal the way that they live. So, And, and what we need to understand, uh, a 600-man cavalry squad like this was a very dangerous unit. And these are highly trained soldiers, and, they're, and they are devoted to David and David alone. They have no country. You know, they've, they've had to leave their tribes for whatever reason. There's no constitution. There's no, uh, you know, they have no king. There's, they're not tied to any specific culture. They have no tribe. They, everything is David. David is everything to them. That's why they're there. That's who they're loyal to. Uh, and and there's just an uh, amazing crew there and david david says here here's what we're going to do he said uh, and, and you remember before how many remember the first time he went to gath when he was running from Saul? you remember what happened then? Mm-hmm. somebody tell me what happened they him, he, had to act crazy. he had to act crazy he he had to humiliate himself to be able to escape from that situation now he's going to make a decision again to go to Gath. But what's different this time? He's got 600 men that are a powerful military force. So this time he's saying, to the, he's saying listen, we're going to go back to Gath. And, and I went there once and they wanted to kill me, but now I got 600 mercenaries by my side. And they're not going to tell me no this time. So David goes back to Gath. But this time, uh, they they hire him. They hire his band. They they hire them as mercenaries, and so they 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 tell him. Th- this is what King Akish said. They basically hired him. They said, "We want you to raid into southern Judea, to raid Judean towns, to kill Jews, to attack." He, he wanted. They wanted him to attack his own people. Now, now, there's a reason for that, because oh, King Achish, he was he was a wily old devil. I mean, he was a smart guy. His thinking was, if I can get David to, to, to raid Jewish towns and to kill Jewish people, he'll never be able to go back. And I'll have him where I want him for the rest of my life. So that's the reasoning behind it. And the, the, David agrees to it. He says, yes, I, I, I'll, I'll go. And I'll raid the Jewish towns. I'll kill Jews. I'll bring the loot back to you. And, and, and then you pay us and just give us a place to live. And we'll, we can live here. And I don't have to worry about Saul chasing me anymore. Because he's not going to come into, into the city of Gath to try to get me. So he said this. But, uh, but, but now you need to listen to this. Because this, this part of David's story is very hard to hear. It's very hard to teach. Uh, you have to remember that David is not a 21st century Christian. Remember that? Uh, he's an Old Testament Jew at the end of the Bronze Age. And so David, he says yes to King Akish, but he devises a scheme. And so that he takes his band of men and what they do, they ride out north like they're heading toward the Judean uh, area, the Israeli territory, and, and he heads north and then they'll, they would circle around, uh, 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 around to, down to the south, and they would then move into the Amalekite territory. And, they, and, and there they would find these little isolated Amalekite towns in the middle of the desert and they would raid them. Now... And then then, they, then after they'd raid it, they would circle back around all the way up to the north, and then come in from the north, and David would show up and say, hey, we raided these Judean towns, here's the loot. So he's, he's playing King Akash for a fool, you know, he's pretending that he's doing what he was told to do. Uh, and, and, but somebody, here's the problem with that whole scheme, somebody in David's army, I mean, surely eventually said, uh, and just asked a logical question, said, yes, this is a great idea, David, but sooner or later... Somebody is going to come and say, hey, David and his men raided our town and we're Amalekites. Well, David, and this is the part that's hard to talk about, hard to hear. David says the answer to that is obvious. How do you keep a witness from testifying? You don't leave any witnesses. And so David and his 600-man cavalry, cavalry unit They would raid down in the Amalekite territory. And and when they would raid a town, and this is the part that's hard for us to swallow with our 21st century uh, uh, mindset... But they would raid a town, and they would kill everybody, men, women, children, every person, every human being. They'd wipe them out, wouldn't leave anybody there. They'd burn the town. They'd take all the loot, take all the livestock, anything that was of value, and they would leave that place and circle around back through Jewish territory and come back into Gath from the north and say, look what we've done. This is all from from a Jewish city. Now, Achish, the Philistine king, says, you know, this is happening. He's thinking to himself, they, the, the Jewish people, the Jews are going to hate David now. So he's thinking, I've got him, and he's going to be a mercenary for me for the rest of my life. Now remember, by this point in time, David and his men, they are the dominant military force in the, the southern part of, of that territory. Uh, Saul is strong up north, but David, there's no band of men that can fight like David's men. And King Akash is saying, he's mine. I got him. I tricked him into doing what, what I, you know, he didn't think what the consequences would be. And he's thinking, I got him. And and David, uh, he, he's the most effective general that King Achish has. He, David is bringing in more loot than all the rest of the raiders. And, and Achish just loves David. But the other Philistine generals aren't quite so sure about him. We'll get to that a, a little bit later. We won't talk about it today. But a little bit later, it kind of comes out that they don't really trust him the way that the king did. But David, he's just sort of running this ruse on, on Akish. and, and he, he's actually what's, what he's really doing. He's going down there and he's raiding the Amalekites from the south. But then at the same time, he was protecting the Jewish farmers from Amalekite raiders. So, so he was uh, kind of, you know, like a double agent, doing two things. Um, uh, uh, he, he's wiping out entire Amalekite towns. And then he's sending his soldiers out to sort of, you know, ride the fence on the on the ranch, so to speak. And he's out there and he's, and he's making sure that the Amalekite raiders are not coming into Israeli territory and, and killing the Jewish farmers. So so David, as a result of this, he becomes beloved by these Jewish farmers. Now, King Akash thought he was going to turn their hearts against him. But because of the way David handled it, now all of a sudden they love him more than ever because he is their guardian. He's watching out for them. He's taking care of them. And uh, and most of them are from the tribe of Judah, by the way. It's a Judean area. And he is, uh, at the same time, now he is admired and respected by the Philistines, but he is hated beyond measure by the Amalekites. And this is the situation that he found himself in. Now, now from Bethlehem southward, David is, he's, by now he is the most famous military person in all of the Middle East. He's a free freewheeling, fast-riding guerrilla soldier with 600 men, 600-man cavalry unit that will do anything he says. And they're totally devoted to him. And, uh, and there are two things that, uh, that happen that you need to know about. The first thing is that he meets a woman named Abigail. I'm going to tell you the story about Abigail and how they met and what happened there. So David, he's doing this thing where he's protecting the Jewish towns and he's raiding the Amalekite towns. And as he's doing that, as he's uh, raising forage for his troops, he's out there, you know, you've got to feed 600 soldiers, you've got to take care of them. And so he ends up uh, uh, with his troops. He go, They go to send some men to a huge farm near Carmel with three, and they had 3,000 sheep on that farm and, and he would go to these Jewish settlements or farmers and he would say, listen, we're protecting you. Can you do something? Can you give us something to help feed the soldiers? It seems like a logical thing and most people would be, boy, I'd be happy to do that. So David says, you know, he says, we've been protecting all these farms. Go there and ask him for a contribution. Now, the problem was the owner of this particular farm it was just a, a loud-mouthed, drunken swine. He is just a total jerk. And evidently his mother had some premonition on it because his name is Nabal. Nabal, the meaning of the word Nabal, Nabal is Hebrew for fool. Now, now see, this is the kind of thing that makes me laugh because I'm thinking to myself, doesn't it seem fairly odd that a mother would be holding her baby and saying, what should we name him? I know, let's call him idiot, you know. <laughs> you know. It's just funny to me that they would do this. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So Nabal, his response, he just humiliates David's men and sends them away empty handed. He says to the men, I never asked for David's protection. He's just nothing more than an outlaw. I don't appreciate him, and I don't want him on this farm. You tell him that that if he comes uh, on this farm, I'm going to do to him what I did to you. I mean, he's just stupid. Think about this. You know, if you're in the parking lot of a convenience store, after dark, and a guy has a gun, you don't insult him. That's general rule of thumb right there. If you didn't know that, write that down, you know, tips for life from Pastor Dave. Don't insult the guy with the gun. Okay? So just keep track of that. You know, if, if it's midnight in the parking lot of 7-Eleven or whatever, what, is, what are those convenience stores around here? Is Hop In? Is that what, isn't there something like that around here? Before they come up with these names. I just, I see here are these names and I picture in my mind, you know, somebody saying, Okay. I'm just doing what the store says to do I don't know I I didn't have that much caffeine I don't know what's going on but anyway if there's a guy holding a 45 caliber on you you know just be nice right, that's a good rule of thumb right there so so what did he do Nabal speaking uh, to sending a message to the most powerful military leader in the region, the, the man who, can, who terrorizes entire cities. And he what does he do? He insults him. He insults him and he says, You tell David to drop dead. Well, these men get back and give the message to David. You know what David's response is? Oh, yeah? Mount up, belt boys. Let's go. We're going to go. And he he leaves. He leaves. Actually, leaves two hundred men near their supplies. And takes four hundred men and four hundred of his soldiers. And he's going to. He's heading to Nabal's farm. And he is going to. He's going to attack him. He's going to take care of this. He's going to say, "Listen, if he does, he, he thinks that that he, we don't deserve something to to feed the soldiers that are protecting him from the Amalekites." Well, and then he's going to return our kindness with that kind of uh, foolishness he said, "I'm going to take him out. He's just riding like a fury to the farm." And he comes around this hill as he's heading there, and, and all of a sudden there, in, in, the, in, in the middle of the of nowhere, out, around this hill, he walk he right up, and there is this fantastic array of goods all left out for him. There's bread and, and there's wine and there's sheep and there's grain and raisin cakes and fig cakes and all of this stuff laid out there and sitting there right in the middle of all of this is this beautiful woman. And David, I mean, you ever try to picture these stories in your mind? David, you know, just riding up, is like, oh, whoa, whoa, oh. What are you doing here? You know, I mean, why are you out here? And, and she says, well, I have the misfortune to be married to Nabal. And he says, oh, okay, I got it. She says, my name is Abigail, and I heard what my husband did, and I know your reputation, and I knew what you were going to do. You were going to cut right out, and you were going to kill us all. So she said, I'm out here to make an appeal. I've got some, some things to take care of your army. You take care of your men, but I'm out here to, 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 to make an appeal to you. Now, Abigail's a little bit older than David, but she's very attractive and she's, she's uh, generous and she makes a gracious appeal. She says, she says, please take these things. Please don't kill anybody. And David is you know like, why, why should I not kill Nabal and everybody that's associated with him? And listen to her wisdom. She says, I know that you spared Saul when you could have killed him. Secondly, I know that you have never killed a Jew. And third, I know that God has called you to be the king. She says, when you come to the throne of Israel, you don't want to become the king of Israel with a fool's blood on your hands. She says, you let let God take care of Saul. So why don't you let God take care of Nabal? And David says, Oh, I like you. <laughs> he says, You're good. And so uh, as we have, as we know about David, he was not immune to feminine wiles. And uh, he, he, he says, All right, I'll, you got a deal. And he loads up all this stuff and he and he rides off. Well, Abigail goes back home. And, uh, and you know, Nabal's like, Where have you been? And, and so she tells him the story. She, she tells him what happened. She tells him, well, you insulted David. I knew he was going to come after you. So I went out there to meet him. I took care of all the, all the situation. I took some stuff, gave it to him. He was on the, way, uh, on the way here to take you out, buddy. Well, Nabal, when he heard this, he was so struck with fear, he, he immediately fell sick. We don't know. Maybe he had a stroke. We don't know what it was, but he immediately fell sick. And 10 days later, he's dead. Which it's to me, you read that and you see, you see the wisdom of Abigail because God took care of Nabal, and, and so you know word of that reaches David at, at uh, Adullam, and he, and he says, "Oh, she's a widow now, huh? Go get her, go go pick her up." So Abigail becomes David's second wife. Who is David's first wife? You remember, Michael. Michael that's right. Uh, Michael was his first wife. Now, where is she? She, she is now, uh, remember, Saul took her and then, and then gave her to be uh, the wife of a man named Paltiel. So she is remarried. Now, remember, ladies, women at that time, they didn't have a choice. When your dad, especially if he was the king, when your, when your father said, you're going to marry this man, you were going to marry that man. And so she's remarried to him. She's in her second marriage. Uh, and, and now David brings Abigail to be his wife. And of all of David's wives, and there, and there was a multiplicity of them, and the most admirable, the most noble, the most intelligent, intelligent woman of all of them was Abigail. And she had a great influence on David's life. She was a woman of wisdom and grace. She was an older woman, as I said, and a beautiful woman. And it was a very wise choice for David And I think he saw her wisdom in that moment, in that encounter, and realizing that uh, she had a wisdom about her. So, so David uh, now in this situation, now he's you know he's gathered this. He's he's been running these these uh, these looting raids, and and he's grown more and more powerful and more and more wealthy. And uh, and you know these six hundred men that's following him. You know, they've got wives out there now, and they're starting to have children. His whole group is growing larger and larger. So, so David, now he's married, he's settled, he's, he, he has his raiding party, and so he has all these men, and their families are growing. So he goes to the king of Philistia, King Achish, and he says to him, he says, look, you really don't want a, a 600-man uh, band of mercenaries living in downtown Gath. Really, you don't don't want that, do you? He said, that really doesn't work. So David said, why don't you just give us a town? Give us a city that'll be ours. So um, if you were to stand at the city of Gath with your backs against the gate and look, look east and a little bit south, straight out there, there's a small town called Ziklag. And the king of Philistia says, that's a good idea, David. I'll give you a Ziklag. And so with customary uh, Philistine subtlety, Achish goes there and tells everybody, everybody you leave. You have to leave your home. It's not yours anymore. I'm taking it and giving it to them. And they just, uh, he throws everybody out of their homes and he says, you've got to find some place to, to, to live. And he gives David and his men, the people uh, and his people, the city of Ziklag. And David and his army all move into Ziklag. Now, here's the thing. After all that David has been through, it, it, you look at this situation, and it feels in a way that his destiny has come true. He's, he's like a small king now. People fear him. He's got his, his own town. He's got his own people. Uh, he, he, he has his own army. He just feels settled in that moment. And now listen to me on this. We, we, I mentioned to this, about, uh, talked about this on Sunday in the message on Sunday morning. Before God's best and highest comes to you, a close substitute will almost always present itself. Like, like Terah, when we talked about Sunday, on his way to Canaan, and instead he settled in, in Haran, or Haran, however you want to say it he didn't He settled for less than what God had for him and, and, and it may not be a bad thing, it just won't be god's best and That's why sometimes a good thing can be be the enemy of a God thing because it's better than it was. It's better than what you, you know, it's a lot better. David, he's in a lot better situation. He's not running around and living in a cave and running from Saul. It's a lot better than it had been. This is the best moment of his life since that whole thing with Saul exploded in his life. It has never been better in his life up to this point in time after that whole situation. And David could look at that and say, (coughs) excuse me, David could look at that and say, this is a good thing. And he could settle there. And it's not a bad thing. It's, and it's so tempting to settle, to accept second best, and to fool ourselves into believing that God's destiny has finally come to us. And we reason like this: this, you know, we say, This isn't exactly what I thought God said to me, but it's pretty close. And after all these years of waiting, I could get used to this. I'll just settle for this. The problem with settling for pretty good is that it may cause it, us to miss what God actually has the real blessing that he has for us and when we settle for nearly there then we never get there does that make sense so you know god is determined to have david not on the throne of some small philistine town but god's plan is for him to sit on the throne of israel so we're not going to talk about this part this week we'll get to it another week but there's a point in time when the Philistine army is going to go fight Israel, and David goes up there to, to, to get in the battle with them, but the Philistine generals say, uh, no, we're not taking David against the, the Jewish people, and so King Achish sends him back home. But in that process, by the time he gets back home, some of these things that he's done with the Amalekite cities, it's, you know, the, the, it has come home to roost. Because what he gets there and what he finds when he arrives there that the the Amalekite army, some of the Amalekites, they probably, you know, more than a thousand soldiers, they had come and they had learned that David was now living in Ziklag and they raided the city of Ziklag. Now all the men, all the soldiers are gone. Uh, And and so, uh, you you know, they, they capture everybody in that city. They take them all with them. They take all the loot, everything they can carry. And then they burn Ziklag to the ground. Now remember, uh, the, these are people who, who did not like David. They were. This was a vendetta for them. This wasn't just a random raid on a city somewhere. This was, David has been doing this to Amalekite towns. We're going to show him that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So, David returns to Ziklag and it's, it's in ashes. It's just, you know, smoke rising and embers burning and, and all the women and children have been captured. And, and and none of those men have their wives or their children. Now listen to this. Here's the thing. If your only loyalty is to David, he's the king. He's the answer. He's the everything. Then when there is a problem, he's the only one responsible. And so these outlaws say, we can't find the Amalekites, but we know where David is. And so they turn on him. They're going to kill him. And the next verse in this situation that David finds himself, he, he realizes these men are going to kill him because the Amalekites have come. And in response to what they've done and he, under his leadership, they've taken their wives and their children. They're going to kill him. And the next, very next verse says... And David encouraged himself in the Lord. The ESV says David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now we don't know exactly how. You know, did he pray? Did he remind himself of all the times God had protected him in the past? You know, probably both of those things and more. He, but, but, but. However, he, however, he encouraged himself in the Lord. It worked. He, he stopped relying on his, on his own skills and his own ideas and his own experiences and his own abilities, and he began to look to God for strength. Uh, Listen to this, when when everything and everybody is turning against you, you know, when an emotional King Saul is against you, when the Amalekites uh, hate you, when the Philistines despise you, when your own people are trying to kill you, you will learn in the moment when everything is going wrong in your life that the source of your strength and the source of your confidence is what it always has been. And all of this, raiding and all of this violent bloodshed and all of his plans, David had lost the voice of God that he knew as a little boy in the desert. And, and in this situation, David turns back to God. He, encourages, he encouraged himself. He strengthened himself. And, and in the moment of your darkest night, in the moment of your greatest Uh, sorrow in the moment of your greatest danger in the midst of the fiercest attack that you've ever endured from the enemy in that moment the presence of god is closest to you you feel his presence more than you it's not that he's there and he wasn't there before it's that you begin to realize how close he really is and that if you will turn to him you will find strength that you did not have before well david walks Back after he encouraged himself to the Lord, David walks back to his band of 600 men. And he says, put your swords back, fellas. You're not going to kill me. We can find these Amalekites and we can r- rescue our wives. So follow me. It was a leadership moment. He says, don't be stupid, fellas. I'm the leader here and God is with me. Goliath couldn't kill me, the Philistines couldn't kill me, Saul couldn't kill me, and you 600 outlaws can't kill me either. God's got a plan for my life. Now get on your horse, and let's go. And amazingly what? You know what? Amazingly, they said, okay, let's do it. And so they mount up, and they begin to follow the Amalekites, and they get out there in the desert, and they actually run across this Egyptian, young Egyptian fellow. And he had been uh, a slave of the Amalekites. He, and, uh, and he had fallen sick. And so the Amalekites, they were on the move. They're trying to get away, get out of that area before David gets back. And so he was going to slow him down. So they just left him behind. So he's out in the desert wandering around trying to find some place to go. And they find out who he is. And they say, oh, so you were with the Amalekites. You were one of their slaves. Can you tell us where they are? He said, listen if you promise not to turn me back over to, the, to, to the, my master there and you promise not to kill me, I will show you. And they said, deal. So he takes them. He takes them where the Amalekite raiders are. And, and they had reached a place. Uh, they had just crossed the, the Brook Besor. And, uh, and they'd camped there. And they're, they're, you know, they're, they're just fixing to party hardy that night. They, they have all these captured women. Uh, th- it's going to be a big night. They light their fires. They're all getting drunk. They're dancing around the fires. They think they're home free because, see, uh, uh, the uh, Brook Basor is sort of like a dividing line in, in a way. It, it's sort of like if you're trying to get to Mexico out of the United States to try to escape somebody, you get across the Rio Grande, you're like, I made it. Well, that's sort of like it was with Brooke Basor, and they're across there like, well, we're safe now. We don't have to worry. We've made it far enough. We, we don't have to worry about David chasing us, and so they're going to settle down. They're going to have a, a great night. They're going to have a lot of fun. They're drinking. They're dancing, and David, he divides his men up into, into two groups and two units, and they ride down into that camp and, and, and you know, crisscross, and they... The Bible says they started fighting at twilight one night and fought until evening the next day and wiped them all out. By the way, he had left 200 behind because they had ridden so hard they were exhausted, couldn't fight. So he left them behind to watch what they had with them. So he took 400 again on this raid. And these guys, these Amalekites, they were not expecting anything. Like I said, they thought they had reached safety. They weren't ready for this. They thought there's no way David's going to find us. There's no way. We've, we've gone too far, too, too fast, and we're across the brook Besor. But the only people that escaped from that Amalekite army is, uh, there are there 400 men that managed to get on camels and rode out into the desert. And David said, don't chase them. Camel can go farther and faster in the desert than a horse can. And we, we're not going to catch them. Just let them go. So the camel unit escaped. That was it, and all of their wives and their children are still safe. So they gather them up. They take all the the the, the booty, all the loot that they had had there. Gather that up, and and they they go to leave, and uh, and and they head back to where the those other soldiers were. Matter, matter of fact, this sets a precedent that was. Uh, uh, principle for Israel from that day forward. Uh, the 200 were there. When they got back, the 400 men said, uh, they can have their wives and children, but we're not splitting any of the loot with them. And David said, yes, you are. If, if they were here guarding this, they deserve an equal share. And from that day forward, the Bible says that that's how they treated it. But listen, I, I want to kind of s- close in on this today. When you Settle in for a short-sighted distraction from God's settled destiny for your life. God can send the Amalekites. I know that sounds really strange, but you know, if God doesn't want you to be at Ziklag, He can burn Ziklag. It, 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 the better way was was to say, "God, I'm at Ziklag now." And this is where I am because this is where you place me. But my hands are open. You remember we've talked in the past about living with open hands. Of saying, "Okay, Lord, this is what you've given me, and I really like this. I really love this part of my life. But I'm not going to grasp it. I'm going to live with my open hands and if whatever you want, then you you can have it because you're the you're the king. You're the Lord. And I let go of that. I'm not going to it's saying, "Lord, I love this moment, but I'm not going to clutch this moment to my breast and say, this is mine. It's all yours. There's an old hymn. I want you to consider as I close. It says, henceforth in fields of conquest, thy tents shall be thy home. That hymn says that there is no building, there's no place, there's no institution, there's no organization, there's no... Thing on this earth to which I'm going to cling all I've ever had excuse me all that I've got is all that I've ever had but all that I've ever had is all that I ever need and that's God that's him and that's why we live with open hands that's why in that moment when it seems like things are better than ever before and we're, we're looking around and Ziklag is a pretty nice place and it's going better than it's gone for a long time, we still live with open hands and say, okay, Lord, this is all wonderful, but I, this is not what I need. All I need is you. And if I have you, then I have all I need and I don't have to worry. So, the only thing that we live with closed hands is by closing our hands around the hands of our Savior and saying, I'll never let you go. That's it. Let's pray together. Father.